Hello, welcome to the Geeky Brummy podcast. Joining me today, your host, Mr. Ryan Parrish, is Mr. Keith Bloomfield. Welcome. Hello. Mr. Lee Price. Hello. And Mr. Matt Lovell. Hello, friends. Hello. It's been a little while since we've seen you all, so how are we all? Lee, what have you been up to since we last spoke to you? I've been playing Tekken. <laughs> Which one? All the of them. The new one. Tekken 7. So basically, because um, obviously Kazuya got announced for Super Smash Brothers, it got me thinking about Tekken again. And then the Steam Summer Sale happened and Tekken 7 was £5. <laughs> so I was like, well, <laughs> why not? Yeah, I, I do hate the Steam Summer Sale because it's just a case of, well, I did actually want to quite buy that, play that game three years ago. And it's a couple of quid. Oh, I'll buy it. And then you end up spending more money than makes logical sense yeah. i mean i say like i bought tekken 7 for a fiver as if it was the only game that i bought in the steam sim sale and we all know that is not true <laughs> um yeah i've been sort of getting into tekken 7 um because i've played like some of them in the past but i thought I might as well jump onto the the most recent one see where it's at at the moment and i think it's my favorite out of all the ones i've played that's that includes like three, five, and tag tournament two are the ones that I play. Um, so I take it you're not a cheat and don't play as Eddie Guardo, just roll around <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> uh, no, I've I've actually um, picked up Lucky Chloe, who's the new character who is just as bad as Eddie <laughs> <laughs> for all the break dancing, but she's even more leaning into the dancing side of it. It's she's a bizarre character in the sense that she genuinely feels like. She's there just to dance, and if you get in the way, that's on you. <laughs> she just feels like such a troll character. Even one of her victory animations is, you just lost to Lucky Chloe. <laughs> like, like that's look what look what you've done. You lost to her. The the girl with the cat ears. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is it going to be like the Shane character? Like you'll get at esports conventions, like when you have it with Super Smash Brothers, mm. and you and you play as. Captain Falcon and just knee people off the side constantly and that's the only move that you do it's like that's the cheap character you're not supposed to play them professionally <laughs> I think I think like from what I've seen like Lucky Chloe has been like a tournament winner before because like some of her moveset is kind of ridiculous like because it is kind of like Eddie Gordo in that you're just flailing around all over the place and it's high and low all at the same time and it's really hard to block um but uh, but try try some of the the newer characters who I'm I really don't recognise at all, and there's some characters who are in previous Tekken's who I still don't recognise because they changed their design so much, like yeah. like Lei Wulong doesn't look like himself anymore. I don't know <laughs> what they did to him. <laughs> I think the last time I played a Tekken game, I tried to play the story mode, and it was the most convoluted chaos I've ever <laughs> seen. The amazing read is to just look at the Tekken timeline, like the Tekken canon, because it is absolutely insane. The and Tekken then some story. games don't exist, you know, some go oh, it's just it's brilliant. The it's Tekken brilliant. story is absurd. And this has like a full on story mode that's basically just all about the Mishimas and how much they all want to kill each other. And it's it's just it's ridiculous anime nonsense, even though it doesn't look like an anime, it feels like one. Like there's a bit where he actually tries to kill his own son with a space laser. Fair enough. <laughs> and, and and then his son and then Kazuya comes along and decides I'm gonna 
get revenge on that by shooting his satellite out of the sky with my face laser. <laughs> um, and yeah, and, and it's it's all just about like the devil gene and how like Heihachi is the only one in the family who doesn't have it because it because like his son and his grandson have it because of his wife and she shows up as well in a flashback and. She she can summon a tiger because you know why not? <laughs> it, this basically sounds like Fast and the Furious, the video game franchise. <laughs> just each 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 installment just gets more and more ridiculous than the last one. I think this is like why this is kind of the fighting game that I've gotten into because I really don't like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat. I've tried to get into them and just cannot do it. But Tekken, <laughs> I've I've always enjoyed Tekken. But I think the story also helps with it because it is just so ridiculous. It's just like here's a, here's a really old man who won't die because he's too stubborn to die, and here's his son and grandson who are both secretly devils, and they're all trying to kill each other by throwing each other into lava all the time, or you know, he actually all throw shoot his entire family into space at one point, and it's just. And all the side characters just get weird as well when you start bringing them in. <laughs> yeah, I think I looked into like King's backstory and I got confused around the third or fourth King. Yeah, like I... there are too many Kings. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, like Nina and Anna as well, where there's cryogenic freezing and all, all sorts of stuff going on. It's it's just it's really good. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Nina looks like she's in her mid twenties, but he's actually like supposed to be sixty seventy or something. It's just due to all the experimentation and freezing that's happened to her over the years. Yeah, isn't Paul a robot as well now? Or there's Paul robots or some weirdness like that. No, Paul seems normal still. Um he's one of the few normal ones apart from his hair. Um <laughs> I mean, standard. It's it's standard fighting game hair. Let's be honest. But um, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. There is like the Jack robots. Jack, sorry, that's right. They've yeah. they've been there since the beginning, and then there's also a second robot now. Who I think got introduced in Tekken Five or something, and she's like anime girl robot with a jetpack. <laughs> is that because Jiao Yu doesn't dress as a schoolgirl being escorted <laughs> by a panda anymore? Yeah. <laughs> it is the most insane video game franchise I think I've ever seen. It's yeah. like with like Yoshimitsu. It's like let's have this ancient samurai just appear. Yosh- Yoshimitsu is especially weird in Seven because he's basically some weird squid monster now, and I don't know what's going on. <laughs> 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 like I saw him on the character select screen, I was just like, "How is that Yoshimitsu? That's a squid." <laughs> so I remember, it has like, some of the best music though, as well. Oh yeah, and the best intros as well. Like number two and number three still have some of the best intros. I love yeah. it. Um, it. Like in terms of like music as well, like the Smash selection is brilliant because they put almost forty songs from Tekken from across like all the games. And some of the choices are superb. Like they put Moonlit Wilderness from Five in there, which is one of one of my favorite tracks. And the the track that's gotten a lot of people talking is Yodeling in Meadow Hill <laughs> has been added to Smash Brothers. And yes, it is a yodeling track. It's like full on like the Tekken sort of sort of dance music kind of style, but there's yodeling on top of it as well. And it's it's just amazing. <laughs> Just, just insane from top to bottom that game franchise. Any other exciting things you've been up to? Um, I finished Mass Effect finally. 
one um, or all the just one just, just one, one. Um, and it's one of those things like i really enjoyed the story up until the end but the gameplay did get so tedious by the end um it, it seems to be the consensus with the first game that it's just not as good all this although the writing is is excellent you're kind of just playing it just to get ready for the second yeah, I'm currently working my way through Mass Effect 1 on the Legendary Edition. I've just got to the Monkey mission, which is the worst mission mm. of any oh, game yes. of all yes. time. Yes, I remember now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. That That's not that a fun is, mission. That is horrible. Like, oh, we just we got a, one of the monkeys took this thing from us. Now you've got to find it. Just go across the whole planet and try to find the one monkey that's coming. <laughs> got to scan like 120 different monkeys to find yeah. which one it is. You can actually just drive over the monkeys and jet the corpses. <laughs> but it depends on which way that you like to play Mass Effect. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, Keith, what have you been up to the last few weeks? Um, I haven't been beating anybody up in Tekken. Been a while since I played a Tekken game, but you know, I, I guess nobody wants to play against me anyway because I do like to pick Eddie. But, <laughs> um, I was pleased to get hold. I was pleased to get hold of a comic I've been looking forward to for a while. Uh, released this week as we're recording, which was the uh, Shaky Kane and Crent Abel anthology, um, which is just magnificent. It's like old school indie, uh, crazy comics um, from you know, just material that they hadn't published before. And it's insane and nuts, and I'm looking forward to reading it properly. Uh, but yeah, I was, I was very much looking forward to this oversized anthology. I had the last one that was in Nostalgia and Comics. I did uh, see so, you were so raving about it in tomorrow. your comic roundup this week. Yeah. I was, uh, I was looking forward to my coffee tomorrow, Keith. <laughs> well, I had the last one. I had asked them to put it onto my regular order, but they must have forgotten. Which is fine. Uh, they should have known. I've been raving about it for weeks, so they should have known that, like every, all the geeky brummy listeners in Birmingham, have been rushing to Worlds Apart to pick it up. Um, I'm looking forward to that. And I fell down a comic, another comics uh, hole on eBay, and I don't know why. I think I, I think I read an article about it a couple of weeks back, and I kind of thought, well, I haven't got that, and I haven't read it in a long time. And the last time I read it was as black and white reprints in something in the UK. Uh, so I ended up buying all seven issues of the um, Marvel Logan's Run comic, uh, which is four or five issues kind of retelling the film story and kind of an epilogue and then two random stories that don't really end up going nowhere because they cancel it. But one of the issues actually is the, for some reason, in a backup strip, the first appearance, solo appearance of Thanos and Drax the Destroyer. Um, so that, that was quite okay. interesting. <laughs> yeah, in the, it's in the story. I think it's called the Last Flower, and it's you know it's some it's a, like eight pages of random stuff. But no, no, this is well before the Thanos copter. Um, but it's just a it's a random backup strip in a, in, a, in an issue of Logan's Run, the the official adaptation of the the film. And you just think this is just so random. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's, it's pretty cool, so I managed to pick that up for a, a bit of a steal, um, cool. which is quite good. And then I've been watching uh, Camp Cretaceous on Netflix, uh, which I've kind of decided is probably better than the films in a lot of ways. They've got, uh, they've introduced another mutated hybrid dinosaur. So we had the Indominus Rex in the film, which to be honest wasn't that scary. Uh, and they've introduced, I think it's called the Scorpius Rex, which is like, that. it's one bad 
a double s of a monster um it's it's pretty scary it's it's more something out of a horror movie than a jurassic park movie um but even though it's kind of based you know it's aimed at teens and it's got very cliched kind of like you know blogger teen geek teen survival teen you know whatever it is pretty cool i'm quite enjoying it so it's a good show and they don't shy away from the fact that like people get eaten um so that's been kind of good They say like the first Jurassic Park. I was saying that Jurassic World had some pretty damn violent moments in the first invent for the bit with the pterodactyls at the start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you if you've not seen Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, Camp Cretaceous, it's actually pretty good on Netflix. I recommend it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Matt, what have you been up to the last few weeks? Um. Well. At work, uh, we've resumed, now lockdown restrictions are easing, we've resumed our sort of socially distanced uh, film with cocktail nights in our full IMAX. And uh, the one coming up is Dirty Dancing. So as part of sort of my kind of marketing for that, I've been reading up on loads of Dirty Dancing trivia. And then I fell down a hole of drama that is... Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey and their whole relationship before, during and after the film alongside loads of other sort of like little tidbits so for example Patrick Swayze wore a girdle throughout the entire the entire thing (laughs) to make himself look thinner and younger and um, um but yeah uh and if you've ever, even if you don't like the film, I would wholly like recommend. It's one of those perfect on-screen things where on-screen they look like they've got so much chemistry, and then actually behind the scenes, they were really up and down constantly. Where one minute they were really fine together, they really did well, and then other times they refused to be in the same room with each other. They would have a massive tiff before each scene. Um, so mostly, I've been reading up on my sort of date dance and trivia but elsewhere um did my first geeky from esports update so uh that was released last monday and there's another one coming out probably the next day after this recording airs mm-hmm. um but a lot of that is around things like uh dota 2 and the big drama that's happening with the international um where effectively despite Pandemic aside, um, despite all the reassurances, uh, Sweden have kind of turned around and said they don't recognise uh, Dota 2 and esports in general as sporting events. So therefore, they're um, they're not giving it sports classification, which means there's loads of visa issues with a load of the um, a load of the athletes coming over, loads of the teams coming over, and all the personalities. So that's kind of prompted a lot of drama should we say online in terms of Valve now kind of looking for other places in Europe to go um, which has prompted a couple of people to be like come to the UK <laughs> yeah, and, the, um, the NEC has hosted many big esports events as part of EGX in the past yeah well um, to be honest the big one is so for a couple of years, um, one of the Dota 2 majors was actually hosted at what is now, is it Utila Arena? Utila, Utila Arena. Arena, yeah. They change the name every five minutes. But um, Anybody who's local yeah. knows it's the NIA. <laughs> yeah, 
on the canal, really, really pretty. But um, and that was actually one of the most successful European tournaments in not just Dota history, but you know esports history. Um, it broke records for ESL consecutively um, two years in a row. Um, both in uh, sort of capacity at the actual event, but also viewership online. There was over 300 million people from across the world who sort of tuned in. Um, and it was a massive kind of boost really for Birmingham as a sort of global city, but also for the UK, it kind of legitimised a lot of esports and it got coverage on um, BBC Three and then later uh, BBC Sport in 2020 when they had to host the online version and yeah it's prompted a lot of people to kind of go maybe the UK not for this TI there's just it's no time but actually considering the UK more for flagship um, mm -hmm. world sporting events. Yeah I know the Invitational has been in the US a lot of its history I think it's like about 70% of the events have been in the US it's an international game now, esports, so it would be nice to see alternate locations spring up. Yeah, and um, I, th I think in terms of where that prompted me to go down that rabbit hole is because they've dropped the compendium for this year, but whereas normally the compendium would be um, all about filling up that prize pool, it's not this year because obviously it's TI20, not TI21, kind of like the Euro, should we say. So actually, uh, the compendium is a bit cheaper, and everything's a little bit less money grubby. If, if it's still all going towards Valve, but in yeah. terms of the challenges aren't so ridiculous, and it's not so much like you have to pay sixty dollars to get to this level because it will take you literally every minute of every hour of your life for the next three months to get there. Otherwise, yeah, I'm sure. It's um, Gabe Newell's still swimming in his bathtub full of money from the Steam summer sale as it is, let <laughs> alone getting the Dota money on top of that. I, you know it's Steam summer sales because all the memes come out. All, all the memes come out everywhere. <laughs> the wallet. <laughs> like the gospel music and like Gabe and just rising up for the Steam summer sales. <laughs> yeah. Cool. But yeah, what about you? What have you been up to? Uh, I bought Resident Evil 2 in the Steam Silver Sale. <laughs> <laughs> Not played it yet, but it, it oh. was a, it's one of those things where you buy the game and then it sits in your uh, Steam library of, look at this archive of games that I will never actually get around to play. Because so, I'm still too busy playing Mass Effect Legendary Edition. I can't. I'm, one of the, I'm now at the age where I can only play one game at a time because otherwise it's too distracting and I can't remember the control scheme. <laughs> like the old gentleman that I am when they're going, what, what's up, what's down <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so still working my way through Mass Effect as I've said uh, I've been enjoying Loki so far and the latest episode which dropped the Wednesday before this recording was I'm not going to say anything because Keith's not watched it yet but it's the best episode of the series so far put it that way so I've been enjoying that um been enjoying the Bad Batch on Disney Plus. Uh, really, it, it, well, it's Clone Wars Series Eight. As I said, it's it's just carried on straight away from there. So it's been really good. And they're expanding on Omega's character quite a bit at the minute. So it's been interesting to see that. And watch the season eight finale of The Blacklist this week, which is a show that I've been enjoying since well, 
since back in the day. I think it's the only show now where I still actually watch it when it comes out on the uh, actual release date rather than saving it up to binge watch. Uh, um, a confusing ending. I know Keith watches it as well. Have you watched the finale, Keith? No, I've got it on TiVo to watch. Um, yeah. I'm just, I'm just hoping they go. Just, just reveal the, like the fact that every, everything we've suspected from the beginning is true. Oh, I'm not going to say anything, but me and Viv were left kind of shocked by the ending. Oh, um, okay. Yes. So, going to be very interested where season nine, which might be the final season, goes because John Bokenkamp's also left along with Megan Boone. So, co-creator. If you, you've just given away a spoiler, if, no. <laughs> Is that common knowledge? It's it's been in the press quite a lot that Megan Boone's leaving the show, uh, but uh, it was revealed this week John Bokenkamp, who's been like the the main creator, the showrunner since series one. So I think his co-runner is taking over duties. So it'd be interesting to see what happens next with her. It, it didn't it didn't do any damage to Supernatural when Eric Kripke left. So you know it could go yeah. on for fifteen seasons. Well, I'm just hoping it's not a repeat of The Walking Dead. Yeah, they got rid of Frank Darabont, and that's when I gave up watching it. <laughs> but, yeah. So, having not sort of seen it, but is it, in terms of the quality of it, as it's hurtling towards kind of like a final season, have you has the writing stayed satisfactory, or are you starting to see suddenly characters it's, are doing rational things, or things are happening really, really fast for plot? It's the James Spader show. That's all I'm going to say. It's, you're there for one particular person, and that's to watch Jane Spader, Jane Spader play Red. And all the other characters are secondary to that, because Jane Spader on screen is just a masterful thing. And every single second he's on the screen, he just overshadows everybody else to the stage. It's like When he's not in an episode, it's very keenly felt that he's not there. Yeah. It's it's a show that's immune to anything anything remotely akin to common sense or like logic. It's it's utter nonsense, but brilliant. Yeah. So I think that was Red coming past his helicopter. But, uh... <laughs> it's like getting buzzed by something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, if you've not watched the Blacklist. Um... And I said, try a couple of episodes, and if you warm to Jane Spader, you'll enjoy it. But if you don't, if you don't click with Jane Spader, I don't think you'll ever get around to enjoying it as much. Uh, all I ever think of is The Office US when he he like he takes over as the um, the owner of the paper company, and that's that's who I imagine he is still playing that character just in the blacklist as this like most wanted FBI criminal. Crazy, pretty much the same. So it's amazing. So if you ever watch The Office US and like Jane Spader in that, you'll probably enjoy the Blacklist. So coming up on today's show, we'll be talking Black Widow, which is due for release next week at the time of recording, July the seventh in the UK on screens, and July the 9th on Disney Plus and on release in the US. Uh, we'll also be talking Sonic as he's got a birthday. And he's still running. I don't know how his knees are hanging up these days. I'm sure he's on the Cod Liver Oil tablets by now. Uh, we have a little game to play, which is more or less. So I've got some geeky questions for the guys to try and work out which is the bigger one. And Lee is interviewing a Tom Keen, who has released his new game, Unknown Number. 
So it hasn't released it. It's, it's out next year. <laughs> it's out next year. So talk about Tom Keen's new game. Tom Keen. Wasn't that wasn't that the name of the of, Tom Keen is the, in the blacklist? Yes, in the blacklist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's all connected, as uh, <laughs> gently would say. Yeah, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, plus, we'll go into Keith's comic roundup now, and we'll have Lee's games the week for later in the show. Uh, but we'll see you shortly. What's happening to you these days? Having lots of fun? Believe me, I know some folks that are in for some fun. <laughs> Take a minute, see what's in it. But you can see how dangerous this could be. But first, we're going to have a little fun tonight, folks. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. And now it's time to take some of the comments out now and coming soon in the pull list. Finally making it onto the shelves this week, we have Star Trek Year 5, Issue 21 from IDW Publishing. This is written by Brandon Easton with art by Sylvia Califano. In this issue, with Spock still missing, the crew of the Enterprise needs to figure out where and when he is if they want to save the future. Meanwhile, on Vulcan, Spock is faced with a choice that won't only change his life, but Vulcan society as he knows it. The final voyages of the original mission continue in this comic. Next up, we have We Only Find Them When They're Dead, issue 7 from Boom Studios. This is written by the fantastic Al Ewing with art by Simone DeMeo. In this issue, Marilyn Chen, ambassador for the Inner Worlds, arrive at Malik's flight to broker peace between the Harvesters and the Worshippers. When Jason Hauer, one of the fated Vihan 2 crew, is pulled into these talks, he will soon discover that, like all politics, nothing is as it seems. Also out now, and my comic of the week for this week, is Cain and Abel, a one-shot from Image. And in this issue, comic book wise guys Cain and Abel serve up a summer dump cake of genre-busting mischief and mask mayhem in this oversized anthology of never-before-published strips. Slip in and out of subconscious with the astonishing shield bug. Surf the flesh wave with black fur in Who Fears the Death Roach. Journey into the sub-basement in the gasoline-tinged dust mites. And ride into the creep zone with Nightmare and Sleepy in the aptly named Creep Zone. Due out next week, we have Skybound X number one from Skybound. This is written and illustrated by Robert Kirkman, Chris Dinges, James Harron, Till Walden... Matthew Roberts and Ryan Oatley in this issue celebrate a sensational 10 years of Skybound with a cavalcade of your favourite creators for all new stories of your favourite series past, present and future. Each issue of this oversized weekly series will kick off with a new chapter of the serialised Walking Dead story, Rick Grimes 2000. In addition, they'll be debuting all new series and characters every issue, starting with the first appearance of the most requested Walking Dead character of all time, Clementine, star of the best-selling Telltale's Walking Dead video game series. And did we mention all new Ultra Mega and Manifest Destiny stories? If you want to know what to expect in Skybound's next 10 years, it all starts here. Also out next week from Marvel Comics, we'll have Ultraman, The Trials of Ultraman number 4 from Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom with art by Francesca Manor. And in this issue, in Iceland, the critics of the USP are uniting and they finally have what they need to win the rest of the world over. But what are the dark consequences of their actions and will Ultraman choose to save them from those consequences? Or perhaps a better question to ask is, with opposition mounting, alliances fraying and trust disintegrating, can he? 
Also out next week, we have the new X-Men number one from Marvel Comics, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Pepe Luraz. And in this issue, these X-Men are fearless. The heroes of Krakoa are here to save the planet. Things might be complicated between the nation of Krakoa and the rest of the world, but to the X-Men, things are simple. You do what's right, you protect those who need protecting, and you save the world we all share. Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Sunfire, Rogue, Wolverine, Sink, and Polaris are the chosen champions of mutant kind, and they will not shirk from any battle for their home planet. Scheduled, but may slip in the schedule, is Star Trek Year 5, number 22 from IDW Publishing. Again, written by Jackson Lansing, with Colin Kelly and art by Stephen Thompson. In this issue, for five years, the USS Enterprise and her crew have journeyed to the edge of the known universe, tackling impossible challenges and menacing foes along the way. But the biggest challenge of all awaits them here at home. And no matter what happens, the lives of Captain Kirk, Spock, Sulu, Chekhov and the rest of the crew will be changed forever. The grand finale of Star Trek Year 5 begins here. Next up we have Fight Girls number 1. This is published by Artist Writers and Artisans Inc. And this is written and illustrated by Frank Cho. In this issue, ten hard-as-nails women face off in an ancient contest of champions where the winner truly takes all, the title of Queen of the Galaxy. To win the challenge, each contestant must survive the hazards of the planet's harsh landscape, the ferocious predators on and below its surface, and their fellow contestants. This edition of the contest has a twist. One of the contestants is an infiltrator. Who has her eye on something bigger than the prize? Who is she, and what does she really want? And finally, and what will be next week's comic of the week, is The Swamp Thing number 5 from DC Comics, written by Ram V and drawn by a friend of the show, John McRae. This is Becoming Part 5. Newly armed with the knowledge and powers he gained from the green and yet lonelier than ever, Levi Camille is pulled once more into service as the avatar of the green is summoned by primal forces to the city of London, where old ideas lie buried, slowly leaching into the reality above. The scars of old wars and the dangers of past ideologies resurface as the Swamp Thing must team up with an old trench-coated acquaintance and his new protégé to save the present from the atrocities of our past. And that's it for this week's Bull List. As always, you can find these and more great comics in our On The Radar feature every Wednesday on our Twitter feed. And until I see you next time, happy reading. And now back to the main show. So we're getting a Black Widow movie, which is kind of out of timeline with the rest of the MCU that we've got on TV at the moment. So if you've been keeping up to date on Disney+, Plus, you'll have seen Falcon Winter Soldier, WandaVision, and currently airing Loki, whereas this is kind of the prequel to Black Widow turning up in Iron Man 2. Uh, but uh, it's due for release on July the 7th in the UK, and... July the 9th on Disney Plus, if you're wanting to watch it there, starring um, Scarlett Johansson herself as a Black Widow, Florence Pugh, David Harbour, uh, Ray Winston, William Hurt is back, who you might remember from the Hulk movie, and we've got Rachel Weiss as well. So it's um, the film sees Romanoff on the run and being forced to confront her past in Russia. So is it a bit of a... Uh, too late for this film because 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I think um, I do like uh, Johansson's kind of trial of, of Black Widow. And I think in uh, the Avengers, especially in sort of Endgame, I liked how she got a bit more screen time. But I'll be interested to see... It's, it's nice... Again, it'll be interesting to see the, uh, a movie that's not all about necessary superpowers. She is, she's still obviously ridiculous, a ridiculous human, but at least she's a bit more kind of down to earth. So it'll be interesting to see how Marvel kind of shoot the movie, if that makes sense. Um, it wouldn't be the typical kind of Marvel trope we had in the previous uh, phases, I would imagine. Um However, I do kind of feel like the timing of it is a bit weird, to be honest, mm -hmm. because it's kind of as much as we're all ready for the next phase. I kind of feel like they're still trying to squeeze a bit more out of that previously, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, so for me, I would probably see it, but I'm not, you know, out of all the Marvel films, it's not exactly what I'm, I'm desperate to see. Mm -hmm. um, I think in terms of it's taken Marvel so long to get to us sorry that must be my lunch sorry. Um, in terms of the Marvel getting to a point where they've got a, a female led um, film and, and a predominantly female cast that the majority of, of the rest of the cast are actually a, a female I mean it's Florence Pugh being in the Marvel Universe now is that that's can only be a good thing um, but it doesn't bother me that it's out of chronology at all in a sense I'm quite happy that it's not leading in to the next Marvel movie um, because in some instances that could be a little tiresome that every movie leads into the next and I kind of like the idea that this like comics is here's a story of Natasha a character you know and love she's got a lot of history you've only seen her in a few films so here's here's a story that took place at some point earlier on so in terms of this particular film we have a flashback uh, to i believe the kind of the 1980s and we find out what happened in budapest uh, and then kind of the actual bulk of the film takes place somewhere between uh kind of winter soldier civil war i think it's post civil war is starting point in the movie yeah, so it's kind of it's going to be flashbacks and stuff after that yeah, and um, to be honest, it's like you know, it's like reading a, a three-issue, four-issue maxi series of an untold tale from the life of the Black Widow or Hawkeye or whatever. So it, I, I, I'm quite happy to watch it. She's a great character. The, the cast itself is really great. So as long as the storytelling and the and the, the the action and the director they've got on board is is somebody who's got a lot of talent, and I think that just just tell a good story and I'm down for it. And it's you know it it doesn't bother me that it's not you know it's not a pivotal moment in phase four or whatever it is I'm, I'm quite happy if marvel start just going here's a film about something that's not connected to anything else enjoy and you haven't, yeah, you haven't mean, got to worry about it yeah i've been looking into the director a little bit who's uh kate shortland and she's not really done that much from what I believe. She's done a couple of independent films. Uh, the first big film she had was a film called Short Somersault. Yeah. She won quite a few awards for one. I think that was um, 
Cannes and went around there. But, then a big but, break for that between that and Law and then Berlin Syndrome and then now Black Widow. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's showing that Marvel have got, uh, you know, a taking, not taking risks. I don't I don't want to make it sound like it's a bit yeah. patronising towards those directors, but they've got um, Chloe Zhao doing The Eternals, Eternals who yeah. until, you know, people had heard of her from doing Nomadland, um, you know, it's. I think it's good that, you know, it's not big name blockbuster. It's not the J.J. Abrahams Marvel movie or whatever ridiculous thing that they're doing elsewhere in their yeah. you know, franchise movies. Um, to just be giving interesting directors interesting opportunities to do things with interesting characters. And I think, you know, that that's intrinsically what is at the core of what Marvel can do is they've got a bunch of really interesting characters mm -hmm. outside of those that we've seen and we're going to see some of them with with the with the TV shows they're doing you know we're going to get Moon Knight at some point later on yeah we're going to get She-Hulk doing some interesting things so I think um that there's enough for everybody to have what you know if you're a big if you're a big Black Widow fan you've now got a Black Widow movie to watch and you know it looks great yeah. David Harbour looks great um, and it just seems like it'll be a it'll be a fun movie, and I'm I'm going to go and see it at the cinema. Um, I'm lucky enough that my local cinema is not going to be massively busy, so I'm not too worried about mm -hmm. it in terms of um, uh, the ongoing COVID situation. But I, I would want to see it on the big screen anyway, because yeah, I could stream um, it at Disney. It's a bit expensive. I will probably you know buy the blu-ray mm. at some point later on but i want to be immersed in that experience when i'm watching it you know yeah, my, my phone's off it's in my pocket there's not somebody ring lightly ringing me up or i'm not kind of thinking oh you know what if something else might happen i can just sit there for two hours and be uh, carried away to a you know a, a, a fun exciting entertaining um place yeah viv and i are going to watch it on 2d imax because i like big screens mainly because my vision is rubbish nowadays. But it's kind of like, it would probably cost less to watch it on Disney Plus for the both of us, rather than going to pay for two TDI Max things. But I think a film like this, and especially being a Marvel movie, which is known for lots of explosions, lots of special effects, etc. Watching it on the small screen at home, is it? Are you going to get that same experience? I mean, personally, I think it's a no. Well, if you're Martin Scorsese... Uh, you know, it's not cinematic, so therefore you don't need to go to the cinema. But um, yeah. it's it's. it's... It, so I was going to say it is really interesting because I know I know a, a while ago, many many moons ago, uh, we obviously had this topic about you know is cinema dead versus digital releases. But actually, I'm exactly the same. I will watch this movie and I will definitely go to cinema for it. And even if I'm, you know, I think even if I'm not that wowed by the film i will actually enjoy the actual experience because i have missed going to the cinema and seeing a film like this on the big screen with the big speakers with the popcorn you know that whole experience yeah because we know disney have been releasing these movies on kind of the disney plus slash theater things we had prior in the last dragon we've had mulan uh luca i think had a very limited cinema release at the same time as being on disney plus so it's a case of is this disney's model going forward to try and capture both ends of the market at once of the if you don't want to go to the cinema or you're not into that cinema experience you can still watch it at home for what the cost of a blu-ray really but watch it at simultaneous release and 
to me because it kind of tarnished the cinema experience a little bit that kind of thing that you used to have this bit of exclusivity with going to the cinema and that you'd watch it because it was out at that time and you had this whole fear of missing out if you didn't go to the cinema and watch it do you think it's kind of lost that luster a little bit I mean for me I think before I would say I would have said yes but I actually don't think so because it's that kind of thing of the people who would buy it when it first came out to watch it at home, they wouldn't have probably gone to cinema anyway, if, if that makes sense. I think if people want to go to cinema, they would they would go to cinema. The only difference is the people who bought it digitally, they would have just waited for it to come on some sort of platform or to, to go digital before they'd buy it. That's kind of my gut feeling. Um, actually, you know, after this prolonged period of not having the cinema i think yeah i I do genuinely think it's not gonna have as much of an impact as we first thought Uh, yeah Yeah, i know you're not a marvel fan as such Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but would would you consider the home experience rather than going to the cinema to watch it or would you want to watch a film of Um, a different type at the cinema well i mean like obviously i wouldn't see black widow but um like in terms, I probably would prefer the cinema just because it's like I don't feel that putting it on digital at the same time dilutes that experience because they are two different viewing experiences. Um, you know, you're watching it at home, you're kind of at the whims of whatever your setup is at home. So if you've just got like a standard TV, it's not going to be the same as watching it on a big screen with the surround sound and all that. And you know, the cinema is an experience, really. Um, I think. And also, like, if I was to, like, watch Black Widow, I think knowing Disney's model, I probably would prefer to see it at the cinema just on virtue of it being cheaper because I'd likely go see it by myself. And since Disney's pricing is, like, the equivalent of a family of four going to the cinema, it's just like, yeah, I think the cinema's clearly the better option there. But but even then, it is just that that experience, I think. Yeah. I think people want that experience, too. I think I think you 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 bang on the money with all of that because cinema's struggled throughout its history with the idea of like something else is going to come along that's going to take our audience away from us, whether it be radio, whether it be television, and you know cinema has has gone oh we'll do Technicolor and VistaVision and 3D and all the rest of it, but as a viewer and I, it's something I've grown up with as as a as a, a cinema goer it's you know some of my earliest childhood memories are going to the cinema it's something i absolutely love it's one of my favorite things to do and i would go to the cinema to see films i own on vhs dvd blu-ray digital to see in the cinema you know if someone if someone was to go oh we're going to be showing a brilliant print new of buckaroo banzai at the cinema it's like yeah i've got that on vhs and i've got it in comic form and i've got it and on what it but to see it in the cinema would be brilliant you know i did i did it was 1984 the last time i did that so the whole mm-hmm. experience is is the thing that's that's and it doesn't matter what the film is it doesn't matter if it's uh this or a quiet place 2 or parasite there's just something to be of being sat in a in a darkened room with a projector and and being consumed by what you're watching and and mm-hmm. any film whether it's a, a low budget indie or a big budget marvel movie it it's, takes you to another level watching it in that situation that you you never yeah. are able to duplicate at home yeah i was gonna say in that home experience i think 
I understand some people can't go to the cinema or might have young children and it'd be really difficult for them to find childcare, etc. So this is a way for them to watch it. But as you said, the distractions at home are 10, 20 times greater than when you're at the cinema. At the cinema, you're pretty much forced to stare at the screen and not have your phone on you unless you're a really nasty antisocial person who goes to the cinema and does that and lights the beacon of Gondor on your mobile phone halfway <laughs> for the film. But um, at the cinema, you're there for that experience. You're there and you, you said you're, you're spending the extra money to sit in a big screen with the surround sound to enjoy that. Whereas at home, myriad of interruptions i'm sure people will be sat there looking at their phones checking their phones having interruptions taking phone calls etc let's surfing the internet browsing reddit or social media or something like that whilst watching the film so as i said i don't think that true cinema experience is ever going to disappear but i'm assuming from what from disney's balance sheet that this must be popular because it's not just been one movie they did it now and it's like creeping into the MCU whereas it's been previously just Disney movies so is this going to be their mod- modus operandi going forward of we'll release it simultaneously at the time you can go to the theatre or you can watch it at home and we'll make our money either way I think like you know you're saying about like distractions at home and people not being or people not being able to go to the cinema and you know people with young children and things like that I think by opening up, by opening it up this way, you are kind of creating two audiences. That like, if you just release it in the cinema, that second audience just isn't going to see it. Whereas you know the the first audience is is going to see it in the cinema regardless. But if you give have both at the same time, you're reaching both those audiences at the same time. That's more money. That works out for them, and I can see why they'd want to continue it long term. Definitely. Yeah, I wonder as well if there's an, an issue down the line that might become more prevalent as time goes on. Uh, obviously, films could be pirated in the cinema. Not great quality. But the ease of pirating, mm-hmm. pirating something that's being streamed to your home computer or laptop, I would assume at some point later on that is going to become a bigger issue for these services that people aren't going to subscribe, but that content is going to get out. And it's going to be of a high quality, and they're going. They at some point, they're they're not going to make as much money as they think they're going to do from being clever. I wouldn't mind if there was a release window for each, so it was out for a few weeks at the cinema, then it was a digital release with the kind of premiere access, and then there'd be kind of like the traditional. I mean, at the moment they're doing a ridiculous yeah, thing where the digital the digital release of the film comes before the physical release. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think it's October is when the free version drops on Disney Plus. Yeah. So when they when they remove the paywall for it, so it's yeah. it's that there is that option for more patient people who are subscribers. Yeah. Um, but it does feel like we're heading back to cable in the early '90s kind of scenario again now, where you've got your Netflix package, you've got your Amazon Prime package, you've got your Disney Plus package. And now you've got the, well, this is the exclusive, exclusive package on top of the normal package where you have to pay. It's 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 like watching a Frank Bruno fight back in the day that you have to pay the extra 10 quid to watch it live rather than watching the recap the next yeah. day. But I think... And I, I do kind of worry about that, especially with the way that Disney are aggressively pricing these. Yeah, but then my local cinema at the moment is charging £3.50 a ticket for any film, any time, any day. 
mm-hmm. uh, which Disney, you know, they, they whatever it is, they're going to be charging for twenty quid for the Black Widow. So I, I yeah, can, I can take my entire family and some randos for less than that. <laughs> so I can just, I can just, I can just be handing out tickets in the street. Come on, come and see the Black Widow. Yeah, it's great. I'm cheaping in Disney. Yeah. Like, yeah, but they, 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 but then you'd be a, a scalper, Keith, and there are laws against that. <laughs> it wouldn't be scalping; it'd be gifting. I would just give the tickets away. Okay, first, we cinema tickets. Then suddenly, all the graphics cards are gone, and then <laughs> living on your yacht, you bought your cryptocurrency. Where does it end, Keith? Well, Keith, if you if you're buying up PS5s, please send me one. <laughs> you can have a PS5. You can have a PS5. Yeah, I said. Um, Going back to the film itself, I will be watching it. I think both be you, Keith, uh, myself, Keith, and Matt are probably too far immersed into the Marvel Cinematic Universe that will be in our 80s and we'll still be forced to watch whatever comes out by that point because God Emperor Kevin Feige will be releasing his regular schedule of MCU movies and TV series at that point. But um, but now I'm kind of, as you said, I'm kind of quite looking forward to a bit of a side story rather than having something in the continuity. And I think the TV shows that we've had this year, which we talked about in the past episodes, they have neatly slotted in to do that plot growth between the films. And there's enough in there that I think the way that the, the way it feels it's going to be done is you don't have to watch the Marvel TV show shows to watch the films because there'll be enough exposition and backstory and plot to link them all together. But it'll give you that fully rounded experience, which is what they tried to do originally with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which didn't really work with connecting the films together. But this feels like it's much better now with stuff like Loki and Falcon and Winter Soldier. It feels like that's much better in ramping up our expectations for the next phase but it also frees up them to do these one-off movies a bit more. Mm-hmm. I mean, Shang-Chi is still my one film of the year that I think this that will completely blow this out of the water, but we shall see. I think it's going to be a nice little diversion. Yeah, but the latest trailer they released was superb. That, that, mm-hmm. that, that was like, oh yeah, I'm down for this movie. Oh, Tony Leon, there you go. You sold me straight away when you got Simu Liu and Totally young in a film. That's fine. I, I want to see a one car wire Marvel Cinematic Universe movie now. <laughs> but um, anyway, as I mentioned, released cinemas July the 7th. Disney streaming services, Disney Plus, on July the 9th if you don't want to go to the cinema and watch it. But um, if you're a Marvel fan, I'm sure you already got your tickets to whatever kind of method that you're going to be watching on. <laughs> Earlier this week, I sat down with Tom Keen from Go Dolphin Games to talk about their in-development title, Unknown Number, A First-Person Talker. Here are just some of the things that Tom had to say about his game. This game for us is kind of um, kind of exploring uh, what voice control would look like, you know, if it was if it were a core mechanic. And, and, you know, Unknown Number is for us, like, the first game in, you know, a series of games that will keep experimenting with voice and keep pushing that as a core mechanic. You know, in a way, there's a set of things that really work, that people really love and keep coming back and kind of reiterating on. And what we're, we were interested in, you know, as, as, a, as a group was going, well, what, what hasn't been done within gaming that has been done elsewhere? And if we collide those two things, what, what could we do? Voice is, is so central to everything. 
are you voice ready yet? Is your brand voice ready yet? Is your fridge voice ready yet? You know, and it's literally that level of like, you know, it's like voice obsession. And then, you know, at the same time, I'm like playing, you know, a bunch of games and, and it's just like, wait a second, there's, there's like no synergy, no, no like crossover between those two conversations. Mm -hmm. You know, when we first built a prototype of the game, the, the, the concept was, why don't we actually use real phone calls and call people up and then they can play the game by speaking down the phone to these kind of pre-recorded acting actors and action on the end of the phone. What we realized was actually um, doing it down a real phone call is, is annoying for so many different reasons. It's, it's annoying because voice recognition down phone lines is pretty much um, one of the worst things of all time. I don't know if you've ever been on a, a customer service call. Like it's oh, punishing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the reason is because, you know, the fidelity isn't good enough, right? But the third most important thing was that you get no visual feedback. What we've moved into now is essentially you know, the game simulates a series of phone calls from, um, you know, two eco-warriors, eco-terrorists, whatever you want to call them, in the middle of this very daring heist in, in the kind of the North Sea, trying to steal many millions of dollars in cryptocurrency from this kind of oil baron, and they need your help. And they, they you know, accidentally dial your number in the chaos, and you get swept into this kind of drama, and you kind of, you know, armed with only your voice, you have to help them succeed, or you can stab them in the back if you wish. You know, there's all sorts of different options. The, the crisis we are in right now as a globe is, you know, the climate emergency. And, and I just think, you know, just as kind of in the 60s, 70s, um, the crisis that everyone was in at that moment, or so they perceived to be, was the Cold War. And every single movie at that time was about the Cold War. You know, every single movie had the setting of the Cold War. Every James Bond thing was, yeah, we're talking about Blofeld and whatever, but it's really about the Cold War. Today, everything should sort of be about the climate emergency, at least as the kind of the backdrop. And I should really, really, you know, hammer home that this is not a, um, a big kind of browbeating, big moralistic thing. You know, we, we see this as akin to almost like Pirates of the Caribbean in kind of mm -hmm. tone and energy. Yeah. It, it should hopefully also make people think and ponder and also, you know, um, look into the abyss and, and, and wonder about what we can all do to, to make things better and what kind of radical actions we might be able to investigate for ourselves. I mean, so I used to, um, I used to work for Xbox and I was involved in a series of um, marketing ARGs for, uh, or Halo in particular, but also Sunset Overdrive and a couple of other things. And, um, and people really loved it, obviously. And uh, I, I think that was such a, a great period of experimentation that everyone was going, oh my God, we can link up all these different touch points. I was going, well, how could we you know, revitalize the ARG? It's one of the core things we've been doing. So when we test, we test with different accents. Um, and actually, in particular, we, we uh, run uh, Siri tests, uh, you know, with simulated accent, accents. And we kind of literally just, you know, put it through the machine and we see kind of what success rates we get back. So kind of accents. And, and, and but before that, I should say that I've been putting on a lot of very bad accents, you know? <laughs> <laughs> really embarrassing myself with my American accent. Um, but yeah, so we've, we've built accent testing into our process. Mm -hmm. So there is some skill, but it's quite funny because we've never really thought of voice as a skill before, especially not like a... A mechanic gameplay skill so that's been yeah that's been sort of part of our process of actually working out what is okay for players to have to do and what isn't okay to ask them to do uh when can we expect to see uh, unknown number well the plan is early 2022 so around march time we think so obviously like i said it'd be out in 2022 is what you're aiming for and it's on pc and mobile i believe is what you're looking for yeah it'll be on pc and mobile yeah cool um, so yeah, it, it sounds great and I'm sure that we'll uh, be doing a lot more coverage on that as, as it gets closer to release. Um, thank you for joining me, Tom, and sharing your game with us. Thank and, you. And um, yeah, we'll chat again soon. That sounds great. Yeah, thank you very much for your time. Right. really appreciate it. For more of this interview, please check out Geeky Brummy on YouTube.
where the full interview will be uploaded, and an article on geekybrummy.com will talk a little bit more about what the game involves. And now, back to the main show. Gentlemen, I have a game for you. It's been a long while since we played a game, so I thought uh, throw a game out there for us to play. So, got some geeky questions. I'm ready. <laughs> and it's multiple. Cho- it's a multiple choice. So it's either more or less. So, what do we think the answer is? Basically, so it's, it's a more. more than one thing or less than another thing. I'm hoping it's straightforward enough that we can follow this quite easily. We, so we, it's so the options are more or less or less. Yes, right. Okay, I think yes. I understand. <laughs> this is still going to go horribly wrong. We have a history with games. <laughs> or if Keith's going to be like those pedants at the uh, checkout, is it going to be greater <laughs> or fewer? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> this is like arbitrary facts on top Trump games. Yeah. No, these are actual facts. It's from a game called okay. More or Less, which I've stolen the questions from. So. Are we ready for the first question? How, how, how is this working? Is it by person or are we just shouting out? We're all just, we take a we choice? All answer, you can all take a choice and then I'll give the answer afterwards. So for the first question, is the raw material cost incurred by Apple to manufacture an iPhone 11 Pro, which sells for £1,049, more or less than £100? So that's the raw cost of the materials that goes into an iPhone 11. Is it more or less than £100? So Keith's going I'm less. G- I'm going to say less, just because that's the kind of thing that people would say about Apple. Mm-hmm. Matt? Yeah, I'm thinking... I'm going to say more. I'm going to say it's like £100 and 1p. <laughs> <laughs> Matt? Um, sorry, Lee? I I am also going to go with less, I think. Okay, so uh, no score there for Key or Lee. Key or Leaf. Lee or Key. (laughs) 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 It's your crime fighting doppelgangers. Key and Lee. Uh, It's actually about £400 in raw materials to make an iPhone 11 Pro. So so Matt scores a point there. What's wrong for that? Lee or Keith. Right, so the next question. In 2019, did IBM employ more or less people than Tesco? I'm going to let somebody else answer first and then I can steal one of their answers. See, logically, I would say more just because IBM is international and Tesco is not. Okay. That would be my nice way of thinking. So this is 2019. 2019, yes. Before in the before times, Keith. Because also, this is one of those questions we there being like, what about Tesco's sort of like aldi version called jacks like are we including those employees is that one of those kind of questions i would probably say they employ less okay so lee said lee said less no i said more you said more ibm yes employing more employ more than tesco international business machines yes i'm going to say tesco employ more people well 
Leeds the only one to score a point on that round because IBM employed 352,000 people and Tesco employed 344,000 people. So yet to score yet, Still. Keith. Yet yeah. to score. <laughs> right. Okay. Does it take more or less time to boil the average kettle, which takes roughly 160 seconds, versus the world's shortest flight? Because mm. when you say world's shortest flight... <laughs> Uh, what what's take classified off, landing, as, yeah. Um Go on, who's answering first? I'm gonna i I'm gonna say less. Less time for the flight or less time for the kettle? Uh less time for the flight, just because it's kind of unexpected and Okay. You know that there's going to be like some like crop dusting situation. It's going to be like super quick. All right. I would say less time for the kettle. So I don't know if that was less or more, but I'm going for kettle, kettle or plane, kettle, kettle or plane. There. Kettle. <laughs> That's the new game show name, kettle or plane. <laughs> so I can only I can only at least get one point on the board here. I've got no way of like getting above Matt or Lee. As, a, as an aeroplane or a helicopter, it's going to take some time to get the the engine going and get it into the air and then land again. So I'm going to go with the kettle. So you're going kettle. Yeah. So you're still scoring zero, Keith. Oh, come on. <laughs> really? So it leaves ahead. Uh, so the world's shortest flight is only 57 seconds from the island of Westray and Papa Westray in Scotland. Seriously? 57 seconds, yeah. In, in what? A paper aeroplane? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, come on. I've been on aeroplanes. They don't even get to the end of the runway in less than like four minutes. <laughs> yes, but those are massive planes, Keith. This is probably going to be a much smaller one that yeah. seats maybe two people. <laughs> right. But even still, I, I, I want proof. I would demand it. You've got to wind it up beforehand. I'm Wikipedia. And flight doesn't doesn't count doesn't count until it leaves the ground. Yeah. Could you not just take a really long run and jump? <laughs> it sounds like it's probably gonna be quicker. It's two guys in a cardboard box with the word aeroplane on it and they just jump over a pond no, that, or something. That's it, it's just a catapult. That's all it is. <laughs> right, are we ready for the next question? No. <laughs> Stupid game. Could the power consumption used for one Google search light up a 60 watt light bulb for more or less than 10 seconds? I'm just going to toss a coin now because it makes no difference what I actually think. Um, more than 10 seconds. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say less time, less, sorry, power, etc. Um, I'm going to say less as well. 
Okay, so Keith actually scores, and Matt and Lee miss out on that one. <laughs> so, uh, on average, one Google search uses enough power to light a, a 60 watt light bulb for 17 seconds. Wow. Okay. And last question. Was the first commercial compact disc CD produced more or less than 30 years ago? Well, it's more than 30 years ago. So you go more. Yeah, it has to be more, yeah. Commercial compact disc, yeah. yeah it's got to be. I remember buying one. Spoil the question, Keith. You're supposed to be trying to get more points than the other. <laughs> I can't get more points than anybody else. I basically only got one point from just guessing Google a minute ago. I, I may even have it still here. It, it could possibly either. It's either. Well, it's not not the first commercially available one. My my problem with this question is I had to remember exactly when thirty years ago it was because in my head it's still like nineteen seventy <laughs> something. <laughs> Uh, Matt? Oh, yeah. I did bad maths. I did bad maths. I thought we were still in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, more. More. Okay. You're, you're right. The first commercial CD was produced on the 17th of August 1982. Yeah. So before I was born. Yeah, I think I remember buying either Peter Gabriel, Simple Minds, or Depeche Mode as a compact disc. Mm -hmm. kind of Mid mid eighties ish, probably around eighty six, eighty seven, something like that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that we had CDs when I was very very young, and that would have been very late eighties. So don't say that. <laughs> say you were very young in the late eighties. I was. I was born in eighty six. So Lee wins that with three points, and Keith That's... and Matt tie with two points, which is better than I expected, to be honest. So I'm going to do a question for the audience as well. You can win a shiny geeky premium badge. So the world's most liked photograph photograph on Instagram is of an egg. Has it received more or less than fifty million likes on Instagram? I mean, you guys can answer as well, but it's a question for the audience. So I'm not telling you until next episode. I'm going to say more because if it's less, I'm just going to keep refreshing and just just make more accounts like it. <laughs> I'm just going to set up either way. Yeah, just going to set up millions of bot accounts. Just <laughs> so is that is that more right now or when they answer gets revealed? Because if it changes, mm. like Matt said, I mean, <laughs> it, it's certainly more than any photo I've put on Instagram. So only that's, just, that's cool. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would put I would say yeah it's got to be more than fifty million. Yeah, I'm going to go with more as well. Interesting, Matt. Okay, more, more. So you all think more? Well, we'll find out next episode. What a cliffhanger! Oh. <laughs> right. Thanks for playing. Back in a second. Hello, let's talk about games of the week for the past two weeks. Last week's indie game of the week was Sunhaven, a hybrid of farming simulators like Stardew Valley and traditional top-down RPG titles. It's got a magical world full of quirky characters where you can choose to go adventuring 
or just stay and chill on your farm. It's an interesting blend that looks like a relaxing time and with a cute art style to accompany it. Overall Game of the Week last week, however, was Scarlet Nexus, which is a lot of anime nonsense from Bandai Namco, but it's my kind of anime nonsense. Especially after I recently played through Code Vein, which has a similar style, although, as far as I know, the games are unconnected. It's an action RPG set in a post-apocalyptic world where a race of creatures known as the Others have invaded and are trying to eat human brains. And to solve this, you and your fellow animes must head out and battle them in a fun platinum-style romp. I played the demo that's available on consoles and had a blast with the short bit of gameplay they provided, where you use a combination of party buffs, hack and slash gameplay, and the simple act of chucking bits of scenery around with psychic powers to take down an increasingly weird set of enemies. There's also a lot of weird stuff about brain links and more than likely some existential crises around the others as you'd expect from any good post-apocalyptic anime, so it looks like a good time. Meanwhile this week, Game of the Week, is Sky Children of the Light, the latest game from that game company best known for beloved cult classic Journey. Previously released on mobile and now getting its first release on a console, this game has the exact kind of gorgeous art style you'd expect from the developers of Journey, with just a hint of Ghibli-esque magic too. You play as a small flying child bringing light back to the world by collecting spirits and candles. There are also social mechanics in the game, built specifically to encourage friendship between players as a natural extension of what Journey was trying to achieve. I've played a little bit of it as it is a free-to-play title, and it just seems really nice and lovely. And for that, if you've got a Switch, it might be worth checking out. And now, back to the main show. Alright, we've got to go fast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've given myself cramp in my leg now. <laughs> <laughs> so if you didn't know, last, uh, or was it last week, week or two ago, it was Sonic's 30th birthday. 30 years of that little blue hedgehog running around. With his June 23rd, 1991. Mm-hmm. So we thought we'd have a look at some of the Sonic games in the past and look at Sonic's life over the last 30 years and basically go through and think some of the better games and some of the worst games so uh i'm sure lee will be happy to lead this piece as a video game expert because mm-hmm. i've not played a sonic game since sonic and knuckles so i'm going to be absolutely useless for this anything past that meanwhile <laughs> <laughs> so um so sonic if you don't know is sega's mascot he's been sega's mascot since release back in 1991 was it on the Mega Drive slash Genesis first in the for Genesis for the Americans and Mega Drive for us in Europe? Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, he's been Sonic's mascot ever since then. Spin-offs, he's had films, cartoon series, comic book series, very weird comic book series, <laughs> racing games, which I'd never understood the point of putting Sonic in a car. Uh, the Mario and Sonic at the Olympic series, which has done very well. There's been educational games, lots and lots of different spin-offs. So, why is he so popular? Do we think? Do you think he because he was just that radical alternative to Mario, and he still has that '90s energy coming through? Well, that's kind of like what sort of kickstarted him, really, is because say he was designed as a mascot. He was designed to compete with Mario. With Nintendo, um, you know, he's the exact same color as the Sega logo for a start. You know, that's the first like indication that like this is this is Sega's mascot. And considering that their mascot prior to that was some weird monkey child that was in terrible <laughs> games, um, it's no wonder that they felt the need to change it. Um, 
but yeah, like you said, it's that sort of 90s attitude. They really sort of tapped into that kind of early 90s. Everything's radical. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon had just come out sort of around that time. And, you know, they were kind of tapping to that energy, which then fed into like a whole series of um, all like other animals with attitude <laughs> that existed within games for like the next 10 years or so. Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't have got Ratchet and Clank or Crash Bandicoot or... Jack and Dexter or any those kind of games without this first, I think. I mean, Crash Bandicoot especially, when that was in development, they were calling it Sonic's ass game. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, and not forgetting Conquer and his bad fur day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you see it in things, you see it in like stuff like Bubsy and Gex and Croc and all these other ones that existed around that sort of time. And, you know, most of which have been largely forgotten but because everyone was just, throwing them out there just to try and capture some of that attention but only sonics really kind of carried on yeah um and it kind of also helped that like the sort of those mega drive games the first trilogy the first trilogy of games um are still really really good games like i think the first one's a little bit clunky because it's the only one that doesn't have the spin dash, so it takes Sonic a while for him to get moving at times. But and there's definitely like some levels where you're kind of going slowly, no matter what you want, and it feels weird for a game sold on its speed to have levels like Marble Zone that force you to wait around a lot. Um, but you know, it's it, those are some just excellent platformers that kind of blended that kind of exploratory platforming because you had mm-hmm. the multiple routes through each level with speed and you were trying to it kind of encouraged replayability so you could try and find the best route through the level um and it's why that sega keep bringing them back and selling them in myriad different ways <laughs> yeah, it's because the latest release of the original original sonic 16-bit game was back in 2013 where i think it was on 3ds and android phones um, they actually would have released like a Mega Drive collection in the last couple of years, I think. Oh, I, I think for like current consoles, and it would inevitably be on there because yeah. it always is. Sega sell a Mega Drive collection every couple of years. <laughs> like every time a system comes out, here's a new Mega Drive <laughs> collection. <laughs> yeah. Got to make sure these games are on everything. <laughs> um, but like that era also had like Sonic CD as well, which I don't think was massively played at the time because it was on the Sega CD and not a lot of people owned that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Sega yeah, Tower you're... of Power. The yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think sort of that it kind of really captured sort of that era just in in kind of the attitude of it and everything. But like, they are just good games. They actually do hold up. And it, there's a reason why, like, Sonic Mania happened in the last few years and why that still got rave reviews because it was sort of drawing on all of that. Obviously, we'll talk a bit more about that when we get to it. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's kind of, like, how it all started. And I think, like, there's definitely a big part of the enduring popularity comes from nostalgia over those early games. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, and from... The first Sonic game through to maybe Sonic and Knuckles. I think it's pretty much viewed as kind of like a peerless collection of these are just solid, great mm-hmm. platformers. Mm-hmm. Keith, Keith, you're looking a bit. No, I was just I was just thinking. I think one of the things for me 
for the Sonic games, particularly those early ones, is the the soundtrack, the music. Because I was just thinking, if I, like I can instantly recall pretty much all the sound, all the music from uh, the first Sonic game, and I was thinking, okay, I I played uh, Super Mario World on the on the Super Nintendo at the same time, and I was kind of thinking, I couldn't hum a tune from that at all. It's like, but if I if I you know you could instantly recognise Sonic music mm-hmm. straight away. So I think that that the whole package that that they did with that was kind of, um, you know. And iconic. Uh, yeah, I think I think a big part of that is down to the fact that the Son- those Sonic games actually had like famous musicians doing the soundtrack. I mean, the first two wouldn't be famous to us, but it was like a basis for a Japanese jazz band, I believe it was. Did the soundtrack for the first two Sonic games? Um, but some of their some of this it's a band called Dreams Come True. And in fact, if you go and listen to some of their songs, you can actually kind of hear those sonic tunes in there somewhere because the bassist clearly like swiped them <laughs> one way or the other uh, um, and just reused them. Like there's a track called Marry Me, which is very much Green Hill Zone slowed down. Mm. Um, but then like with the third game, there's still debate over it, but it seems very likely that Michael Jackson did the, at least part of the soundtrack to that game. And that was definitely like peak popularity for Michael Jackson as well, which again, it kind of ties in with all that, everything that was going on in the nineties. Um, obviously he's uncredited for varying reasons. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, you can still kind of hear that, you know, that his influence in there, like the, the mini boss theme clearly has a sample of, of his whoop noise going on, you know, and, a lot of the people who are credited are co-collaborators of his and you know it's it's kind of all makes it very obvious that he was involved and a lot of those co-collaborators have said yeah he was involved but you know yeah um but even sonic cd also has like that really good soundtrack as well like the i mean it's got two separate soundtracks one for the us and then one for japan and europe and the japan and europe one is the better one um, but the US one has the best theme from the intro, <laughs> so it, yeah. they tried to. They, Sonic music's just like one of those things that sort of keeps it memorable as well. It's just it's one of the best things about the franchise, even over the years. Yeah, so. I mean, to to compare back to Mario because it's always going to come up. Do you think Sonic didn't cope with the transition to three D as well? Because it's such um, a thing based on speed, and back in those early 3D days, I think Sonic never really appealed to me because it was kind of like, well, how is this very fast-paced 2D platformer going to work in a 3D environment? Mm-hmm. Well, I think with that we can kind of move on to like these games, the Sonic Adventure games. <laughs> yeah. Because um, that was like the transition. I think it took them a while to actually get a 3D Sonic game because the Saturn didn't have an actual Sonic game. Yeah, I think um, Dreamcast yeah. was the first one. Wasn't yeah, it? Sonic Adventure was like a launch game for the Dreamcast. But they were planning on a 3D platformer for the Saturn, but it just never got off the ground. And I think that kind of does speak to the difficulty that Sonic's had in transitioning is that trying to, you know, the the years of them trying to make something of 3D of Sonic in 3D and skipping a whole console generation as a result kind of shows the the struggles with it and 
the adventure games are kind of beloved, but like they are very, very much 3D experiments. They don't really hold up that well. There are moments where Sonic will just clip to the scenery and, and like the physics engine will just go wonky at times. And it, it like just trying to marry that speed with the 3D platforming was not a smooth transition as Mario had, where mm-hmm. Super Mario 64 was like an, a hugely influential game that. You know, everyone else was trying to emulate for the best half of a decade afterwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you go back to play Super Mario 64 now, because I bought the uh, Mario Legacy Collection I did for the, the Switch, it, it's not a great control system at all, if you actually mm-hmm. go back and think about it. It's just, it's just yeah. not very clunky and very much reminiscent of those early 3D controller schemes which we talked about in the past. But at the time, it was a revelation. It was yeah. a huge step forward, and it was great for the time. But yeah, it doesn't hold up. But you can see, like in some of the other three Mario platformers, how they improved on that over the years. Mm-hmm. And the kind of basic formula of Mario 64 is still there, whereas Sonic, they've had to keep reinventing the wheel constantly with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Sega not creating a console post the Dreamcast probably has had a big impact on how underperforming Sonic games have been since then. Mm. I As think this, it's not really got a home anymore. Yeah, I think they're, they're still kind of popular, but not necessarily like the cultural phenomenon that they were in the, the early 90s. Um, you know, like kind of the first game that came out post-Dreamcast was Sonic Heroes, and that was, again, then... A lot of signs of them sort of experimenting with stuff because you had the four teams of characters and they they all kind of largely controlled the same. So you were kind of playing through the game four times with like different sets of characters. And one of the teams had Big the Cat as an example of like just how little they needed all these characters. Um, but it's like a lot of... Sonic Heroes does not hold up either because... There are definitely some. There's points in that where like the controls bug out, or at least they do in the PS2 version, which I played. Um, Sonic Heroes made me quit Sonic for quite a while because mm-hmm. I requested it for my birthday. That was like one of my big birthday presents, and I exactly on PS2. And there was with Sonic's team. Firstly, all of them were quite obnoxious anyway as characters, but I think even though they had developed that like in sonic heroes they were particularly obnoxious but then there was um one of the later levels for sonic's team the controls were just so bad i think it was you you were on rails going through a mine or something and you had to switch and jump at certain times but it was so sluggish and unresponsive that I actually just threw my controller and raged hard as like, I don't know how old I was, but I just gave up 3D Sonic for quite yeah. some time after yeah, the, that. The point that I stopped in that game was like a jungle level, and every time that I would jump, Sonic would automatically do a homing attack, usually off into an abyss, and I was like, screw this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it was... Shadow, I think, after that, when they tried to make a more mature Sonic game. Which... Yeah, let, let's let's do, like, or as we like to call it, Out of the Edge, if you yeah. put the title down. <laughs> yeah, it, I don't think that worked 
in Let's any way, give Shadow the Hedgehog a gun. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then we followed that up pretty quickly with the Sonic the Hedgehog 2006 version. Yes, I have it. <laughs> it's it's bad. It's real bad. Yeah, as um, I say, I think everything just went wrong at that period of Sonic. Yeah, like the Sonic 06 is notorious just because it's um, it was rushed out for Christmas. Um, originally, like I think it was originally like the 360 title. I think it was supposed to be a launch title for the 360. Missed the launch of the PS3 and got delayed slightly. Mm-hmm. But even despite it having to be delayed, it still came out unfinished when it eventually yeah. released the PS3. Um, I remember at the time it was marketed as like it's 15th anniversary. This is like a big big gang bang relaunch of Sonic. It's going to be amazing. And fell flat. Yeah, they they tried to do a lot with it. um, But there's so many things that you just kind of question what they were trying to do. Like, there's whole, like, sections where you just wander around a town, like, just walking, talking to very generic-looking people who do not fit aesthetically next to the Sonic characters. And every time you talk to them there'd be a loading screen, which would then take you into, like, them explaining the quest that they've got for you, and then you'd get another loading screen. <laughs> and, then, and then you'd get the actual mission, and then when, that's finished, when that would finish, it would have another loading screen, and each loading screen just took minutes. It took forever just to get through them. Um, just There's so many things as well. With, like, the physics are broken. Um, the story is terrible to the point where there's a rom- a, a romantic storyline where Sonic and a human princess a human princess who looks like she belongs in a Final Fantasy game um, are like romantic. falling in love with each other yeah. and, and it's just ridiculous <laughs> yeah I mean we refer back to the Tekken thing we were talking about in the intro it's kind of like the ridiculous storyline but this was like not done for the ridiculousness, it was done like on purpose. It, with Tekken, it's very much like they're leaning into the, the goofiness of the whole thing the whole time. It's it's meant to be silly. Mm. Whereas Sonic 06 was being very serious. Mm. And you know, like, first of all, these are cartoon animals, and you're doing these very edgy, dark stories with them that just don't fit like what is basically like a hedgehog that runs fast. And it's mm-hmm. cool and radical. <laughs> but it's still not a big soundtrack there, which surprises <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I think one of those big issues with Sonic in general is in the 3D realm when they gave him that kind of personality. I know in like the animated series and that kind of thing, he was a rebel and he was a symbol of being a rebel. But in the sort of previous side-scrolling 8-bit kind of days, obviously you didn't get that in terms of he wasn't always trying to quip and that kind of thing. And I think for me, it just got incredibly grating incredibly quickly, even when I was really young playing these games. Um, And because it's things like, if I wanted that kind of edginess, I would have watched Sonic Underground, you know, or the mm-hmm. original Sonic cartoon, that kind of thing. But having it, I think frustrating gameplay that didn't really work, and then having Sonic and his friends be incredibly obnoxious, you, you just you just don't want it, you yeah. know. 
I mean, do you think that was a bit of a feedback loop between the cartoon version of Sonic and the game version of Sonic? Because you said all this backstory in the first however many games it was back in the day, all the 16-bit side-scrollers, all of that was in the manual. You didn't really get much of that on the screen. You just had Sonic running for the level, hitting Dr. Eggman, as it was back in the day, as Robotnik is now. But... Um, None of that was really in the in the game, and then it's kind of when they did that transition to 3D, they brought all that comic edgy wackiness in. And the the thing as well is that like the games even got the uh, Sonic X cast, like the entire cast of Sonic X got brought in to voice the games as well. So there was definitely, I think there was definitely a point where they were trying to bring it all together. Mm. Sonic X was like the really really edgy anime yeah. they did. Um, but yeah, it sort of it, it was not doing very well at that point. Let's be honest. Um, just kind of led on to like Sonic Unleashed. Um, yeah, which... um, the most annoying thing of Sonic Unleashed to this day is they called him a werehog, which is manhog. <laughs> so it's man hedgehog. It doesn't work. It should have been a hedge wolf. Um, but yeah, but even with that, it's like. The, the thing about Sonic Unleashed is the day stages were actually like the first time that Sonic was really good in 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, like they added in the boost mechanic and stuff. And so there's a, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of on rails, um, yeah. but like they kind of built it around that. So you, you know, and it kind of went back to that idea of like learning the layout of the level so you can find multiple routes and try and get through it faster and all that sort of thing. And that really worked for it. But then they kind of ruined it by having the Werehog, which every single Werehog... So there were just as many Werehog levels as there were daytime Sonic levels. The problem is, is that each Werehog level was like 10 times the length of the day stages (laughs) because you're moving so slowly and it was basically like God of War, but terrible was how it played. And mm-hmm. there were platforming sections where, which were made worse by the fact that Sonic didn't have a shadow. So you couldn't see if you were going to land on a platform. It's one of the central things that's like part of platformer design and they didn't have it in there. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, it was a bit of a slog to get through that one just because of those levels. If they hadn't been so long, it might have been a little bit more bearable. But, yeah, could have done with like a short blast Sonic Werehog level and then mm-hmm. back to back to the old fun stuff. Yeah. More of a palate cleanser rather than the main meat of the game. Yeah. I don't think they intended it for it for it to be the main meat of the game, but just because it was so much slower, it ended up being that way. Mm-hmm. And then I we think, moved um, on to sorry. Sorry, Keith. I was gonna say I think I think part of the, the, the whole thing about Sonic is they nailed it so well. At the beginning, the 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 whole um, iconography of him, the look, the sound, cemented itself in the public consciousness to to such an extent that it it hasn't mattered. The, the fact that we're talking about him thirty years later, it hasn't really mattered that like probably a lot of people haven't played a Sonic game in a long time. Um, he's just cemented himself into the public consciousness so much. I think I think the last physical Sonic games I actually played were the, the, on the Wii, which was the Sonic and the Secret Rings and Sonic Unleashed. I don't think I've played another Sonic. I may have dabbled with um, Sonic at the Olympic Games with Mario for my sins. Um, 
But again, I think well, they're, they're solid games, though. But I think yeah. that's more than but again, Nintendo part of it. The, the difference between Nintendo and and Sega is that most of some, uh, most of Nintendo's flagship characters don't really say anything. There's not really a backstory to them. You know, um, Link doesn't really say a lot. Kind of, you know, Mario doesn't really say a lot. Luigi's a bit more talkative. Um, With um, Samus is, doesn't say much. But the whole kind of like creating this talky backstory for sonic i don't know whether and then not having a, a console to really push him that that you know it's not set you know it would have been mario sells a, a a nintendo machine but now sega aren't pushing their own devices so i don't know whether that's mm-hmm. he's, he's kind of waxed a little bit in recent years because he hasn't had that kind of impetus to be the the mascot that he once was mm-hmm. yeah um, but I think from, you know, that that's kind of the, the essence of it. As I said, like a big part of why it's still there is that nostalgia for those first games. Um, but I do think that like one of the things that Unleashed did right, like I said, was kind of it almost went back to what made those games good by having the idea of there are multiple routes through the level. You know, you hit certain things in a certain way, go at a certain speed, you can go higher up and you can get a faster route. Um, there was a lot more of that that they built into the game, but obviously the Werehog then slowed it down, which is probably why they kind of took that part away, but kept that sort of style of gameplay for the following games, because you had like these two yep. for the next ones. So yeah, yeah Sonic, Colors. Say, Sonic Colors is renowned as quite well. I mean, there is yep. Sonic and the Black Knight, but that kind of gets forgotten about on purpose. The, I think the, the storybook. <laughs> games secret rings and black knight are not very yeah. good you yeah. know the first one's like they're both very on rails and the first one is just an endless runner like sonic does not stop running at all and black knight they gave him a sword and it doesn't work <laughs> yeah yeah just just doesn't work but killers was quite well received if mm-hmm. i recall correctly it was yeah, kind of I, it felt like this is sonic back to its roots yeah it took like all the stuff that unleashed did right and made that the game. Like, there's still like some gimmicky stuff with like the the Wisp characters that you can find, like the alien things. But they just give Sonic different abilities, and some of those abilities actually do contribute to the gameplay a lot more. So, like, there's one where he can turn into a drill, so you can drill through the ground, but you're still moving quickly, and you're still trying to, you know, navigate through like an explore explorable level. And it's it's a lot more enjoyable than let's slow things down and play terrible god of war for five for ten minutes um and then generations kind of really went back to where the series started by just recreating levels from the entire history of the franchise um so it made um crisis city from sonic 06 actually playable (laughs) i mean i think that was probably again a bit of a misstep for them though because as i said it highlighted the best of sonic and it gave some the the better games and reinterpretations of that, but mm-hmm. they all still included the the not so great elements of Sonic at the same time. So it's yeah. kind of like it's like a nice sandwich with a couple of dead flies just stuck in there, <laughs> like trying to navigate round. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you'd think that once they'd kind of nailed that formula, they got you know this works now. Let's carry on with this, and then they decided to do this for the yep. Wii U. And the problem with this is they were trying to do Mario Galaxy with it. Yeah. And the problem with that is that doesn't work. No. For a, for a start, 
they gave Sonic a run button, so he would move very slowly normally. You had to hold down a run button in order to get him to move at what you'd expect Sonic to move at. And I'm just like, why did... Why? No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But they tried to keep some of that kind of boost-style gameplay in there, but it didn't really work with like the planet-style galaxy Mario Galaxy sort of mm-hmm. thing that they were going for. Yeah, it's it's, it's been a thing as well with Sonic games is they've always seemed to like ape Mario a few years later rather than mm-hmm. going off and doing their own thing. Yeah, it's a case of oh we'll see what Mario is up to and then make a kind of shoddy copy of it and just mm-hmm. hope it sells for the for the parents buying stuff for their kids. Yeah. It's it's quite an interesting formula though because um, if you look at a lot of different um, sort of iconic game characters and franchises, like one of the reasons why it works with Mario is because Mario himself is quite a blank canvas and the gameplay is quite standard. So therefore, you can do Mario racing, you can do Super Smash Bros, and it works because the way they've kind of done it is there is no one particular format that is distinctly Mario, essentially. But I think um, the problem with Sonic is from from the very start, kind of what Keith said, they had they carved their niche, which was the speed. But then, like, all of the Sonic racing games, you're a bit like, that's fine. However, he runs why the speed Sonic of Mike, so why is yeah. he driving? You know? Yeah. And, you know, the Sonic beat-em-ups and that kind of thing, again, you're there being like, right, but fundamentally, that's not him. And I think you can say a lot of things. The um, same goes for, like, Crash Bandicoot, which obviously copied Sonic in essence. But even going to, like, Tomb Raider, effectively, Tomb Raider, uh, the reboots, regardless of what you think about them, they did the thing of they went to, okay, we're going to start copying Uncharted and we're going to do a little bit of The Last of Us and this kind of stuff where you're there being like, but they copied you first, if you know what I mean. It's kind of, mm-hmm. you, you've you got your characters and you've got your sort of brand and your style and now you're trying to paste it over something else when actually that doesn't necessarily work. And I think, like, I think off the back of that with Mario is that Mario, I think Shigeru Miyamoto has said uh, in in the past that like there is no real canon to any of the Mario games that like mm. they're kind of just actors essentially like that's kind of the kind of characters they're supposed to be because you even see it in Super Mario Brothers three where like a curtain raises at the beginning and like there's that whole idea that these are just characters who are playing a part which means that yeah you can put them in in go karts you can have them play tennis and it's just like it's another role it's another thing that they just fit into. As necessary. If you think about it, Mario is always Mr. Default or Mr. Average. He is always the most average racer or the most average character. So you had that in Mario 2 where Mario was the average one. Luigi could jump higher. Daisy could float. Everybody had different powers. But Mario has always been Mr. Central, Mr. Average. Same with Mario Kart. If you pick Mario, you know he's not going to be the fastest. You know he's not going to be the heaviest car. You know, but you know it's going to be the stock experience. And that's that's how Nintendo always interpreted Mario. He is Mr. Default. I did I did just check as well. And unfortunately, this doesn't apply to Smash Brothers because he's considered S tier. <laughs> <laughs> But even like Mario and Sonic of the Olympic Games, he's still yeah. Mr. Average. He's, he's yeah. average stats across the board. Yeah. Whereas Sonic, we know Sonic, the whole thing about Sonic, and it's the phrase got to go fast because 
that's his entire character. He's yeah. somebody who can run very fast, he can run at the speed of sound or the speed of light or whatever the speed. Yeah, the idea of anyone beating Sonic in a foot race in the Olympics is absurd. Yeah, for example, yeah. yeah. And that kind of thing, that hampers the character because there's nothing you can do around it because it's so intrinsic to having Sonic as a character, you can't take his speed away from him because then it just makes it it betrays the character that they've created around him. I think of... I think Sega have attempted to justify it in the past by saying like, oh, he's he's just having a good time with his friends. And so like he's slowing down deliberately so that you know it's a fair competition. And I'm just like, that's kind of ridiculous, like <laughs> But he'd still run at the very end of win. Because that's yeah. the kind of person who Sonic is. He'd like you wait for the last three meters, then just give then go over the line and back. Yeah. I mean, um we've got well the Sonic Forces. Yeah. Which again, not a great highlight in the franchise. Yeah, it's it? kind of like they they'd gone back to that formula but this time made the levels really short and mm. really uninteresting and decided to make original character do not steal a canon thing within the universe. <laughs> yeah. But we've got well, Rangers coming up. Sorry. Sorry, I was going to say, like, with Sonic Forces, um, they kind of could have done quite well because they were there being like, you can have your own sort of Mary Sue within the Sonic universe. But then they kind of, you did it, and then about five minutes later, they're like, Sonic's back. There we go. It's yeah. fine. Sonic, yeah. everyone. And and also there's the crime of when I when I played it on PlayStation Plus there was no ferret option so I'm just like well what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean we've got Sonic Rangers coming up in next year I believe it's on for release if mm-hmm. if if things carry on working out that way in the world. Yeah. I mean not really said that much I don't think we've seen that much of Sonic Rangers except for a we've, trailer. We've seen like the teaser trailer which was basically just I think you saw Sonic running through a forest and then kind of glitching through the world. Yeah. Um, so clearly it's going to be a Sonic 06 remake. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I'm not actually sure what it's going to be yet. I, I wonder whether going forwards we even need any more Sonic games. Because in a, in a sense, Sonic has slipped into the public consciousness, into pop culture. Uh, in a in a similar in a in a way that does he really need games anymore in a in a, in a way that everybody knows Mickey Mouse and everybody buys Mickey Mouse products and everybody you know he's he's hooked in knows about Mickey Mouse he's all good but can anybody remember the last time they actually watched a Mickey Mouse cartoon and I kind of wonder if Sonic again is at a point where he doesn't really need the games anymore because he just lives in people's popular culture and he's referred well, well, to and talked about I when think, people talk about speed it's referenced i think Does the difference is game? keith that walt disney have enough to survive on with a plethora of other franchises but for sega and as i said for a console of sega they've not really got that many franchises left which they own so i think pumping out a sonic game every couple of years is a way for them to just get some money in the piggy bank and now yeah. we've got the sonic movie Mm. Is this a case of, oh, he's back in the public conscious, we've had the movie, we've got a sequel coming out, it's time to get some games out and try and make some bank off that at the same time? Because at the end of the day, they've still got to make profit. Yeah, Yeah, because if you look at Sega's other IPs, they don't have anything that's quite on the same scale. Like, Total War is popular, but that's not Sonic level, is it? Um, But then they've got to make a good Sonic game Yeah, that that captures the, the, the zeitgeist of what 
he was doing in the. It, uh, I was really shocked 90s. that they didn't do a Sonic, the movie tie-in game because obviously that is like the it's easiest be, way for them to make. It's going to be terrible. Though, that's the thing. <laughs> it doesn't matter though because people mm. will buy it, and the whole point of the Sonic the Hedgehog movie was it's to an audience that we don't exist in anymore. It, it's designed for kids, and it's, and it's for. 10 to 10 to 12 that kind of preteen early teen kind of audience and that's where well, sonic lives now although it is funny that you say that because obviously with our discussion about the cinema that was the last movie i saw at the cinema before the <laughs> pandemic <laughs> yeah but you know what i i actually quite enjoyed the sonic movie for what it was and also i think in terms of his personality they actually did it quite well in I've, the movie i've definitely seen worse video game movies so i don't think yeah. it was brilliant but it wasn't bad i think yeah i think they released the bad cgi on purpose to get everybody like <laughs> hating it and then having that free hype and it's like no we fix sonic come and watch the movie now <laughs> from a cynical point of view it's like did they release the awful version just to like draw up some hype for the, for the Although, film again oh, Although the weirdest thing about the Sonic movie is that the most 90s thing about it is Jim Carrey. Because <laughs> he is just being 90s Jim Carrey. Yeah. But do you think having Sonic back in the public eye with a successful movie kind of does help Team Sonic at Sega a little bit? Because they can actually... Do you think Sega might actually give them some money and some time this time around? It's it's possible because like obviously they're also doing I think it's an Amazon series, um, so I think you know they're trying to find multiple avenues at which they can present Sonic to the world and doesn't necessarily need to be a game every year because I think that was happening at one point there was like a new game every few months pretty much and it's like no wonder they were all bad because they were rushing them all out. Yeah. Um, so I think especially because like with rangers coming out that's going to be the first game from sonic team since 2017 and that's i think a good amount of time for them to kind of properly sit down and think how are we going to do this properly and i think mm -hmm. because they be, they were they knew that they were doing the movie in the interim they could kind of allow them that time i think so yeah i mean do you think it's i know you're pretty invested in the franchise so we've been mm -hmm. picking up rangers Probably, it, it, we'll see how it tr turns out. Because even when it's like bad, it's kind of entertainingly bad. So, <laughs> and um, Matt Keith, would you be willing to reinvest back into the Sonic franchise? Uh, to be honest, yeah. I mean, I picked up Sonic Mania when it was free on the PlayStation Store and played it, and I do really enjoy it. Obviously, it's. It is very much going back to kind of Sonic roots, um, but I am more than happy to return to the Sonic universe. I think the problem I have, and it's not just with the Sonic team or Sega, it's it's like I said before, my little mini rant, it's more the case of publishers and game devs trying to paste like other genres onto what they've got you know i think there is still space to make decent sonic games in the 3d sphere as well yeah it's just I mean, as sort of lee said they just kind of need to give it more time and to actually go okay well this worked so let's do more of this you know yeah i mean we didn't really talk much about it but we have had sonic 4 
in mm-hmm. both its episodes. And that was a real go back to originally back to basics, just fresh it wasn't good, platformer with, with fresh graphics. It wasn't good though, because uh, it was very sluggish. But I think this is kind of where Sega did the right thing with Sonic Mania by kind of shipping it out to fans and being like, you kind of know what you love about the franchise. Make something. Um, yeah. And it's something that Sega have been showing a lot of success with, of just like shipping their IPs out to other developers. They did it with Streets of Rage as well. And that was excellent as well. And it's like, I think Sega can do more of that in future so that it isn't just on Team Sonic as well. And, you know, have more kind of fan-driven projects, you know, that become passion projects for smaller teams that kind of understand, that kind of know why they like Sonic and therefore will put a lot of those ideas into the game. I think we could probably see some more success stories like Mania if they did more of it. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, you make a good game that um, builds on what made the the original games so such a standout. Um, just just make a good game, uh, and that that's what I want. And you know, and double down on the whole idea of what that Sonic is about speed. Um, you know, I don't I don't need an RPG. I don't need a um, you know a sort of random backstory to you know give me the tragic upbringing of some random character that I don't care about. You've reminded so, me that, that Bioware made a Sonic RPG. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from the screenshots of Sonic Rangers, I mean, it could be possibly open world, so mm. that, is, that is kind of a slight worry in, my, in the back of my mm. mind. But um, I still think there's, as Key said, I think there's enough there with the original brace of Sonic games, so if we go with one, two, CD, Knuckles, that kind of original brace of game, I don't think they're ever going to get old, because they just work so beautifully, and the colours back then, and it's it's that defined artwork style I still think works to this day, and it's very much something that I don't mind, but I think, as you've said, if they got rid of all the backstory, I think there'd be a big fan backlash. But at the same time, I think it could possibly due to like get rid of all that and just like start afresh with Sonic rather than pandering to decades worth of crazy backstory which doesn't really need to be involved in the game. Yeah, make the actual gaming experience fun and exciting. You know, I, I'm not bothered about the cutscenes in between. It's the bit where I'm in control of Sonic. That's that's what yeah. I'm interested in. Yep. Or in a, or split it into two franchises and keep the fan service version somewhere else that they can mm-hmm. carry on with. <laughs> yeah, but um, it's, it's survived. It's still very popular and it's been 30 years, so probably a good happy birthday to Sonic. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Geeky Brewery podcast. This issue lee where can we find you online you can find me on youtube at bob the pet ferret uh, where i do various different gaming videos and if you want to see my very popular video on why sonic sonic is bad uh, (laughs) i I, I didn't mean to say sonic but that's but that works anyway um yes bob the pet ferret it's supported on patreon at bob the pet ferret updates on twitter at bob the pet ferret and i tweet out normally at the cheap ferret as well and you can find me on geekyroomy.com every Friday doing a 
gaming roundup of the latest news and releases. Awesome. Matt, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Matt Level. Um, you can find me on Instagram at matchstick underscore Matt. You can also find me on the Geeky Brummy Twitter handle on Mondays, where I'll be tweeting various things, uh, depending on how I'm feeling. And you'll find my uh, esports update on the Geeky Brummy website, where I continue my ongoing campaign to make UK esports a legitimate thing. Awesome. Keith, where can we find you? My personal Twitter feed is hardlook underscore hotel. You remove the underscore on Instagram to get my RT black and white pictures of landmarks. Uh, I am also on YouTube, but most of my videos aren't as entertaining as Lee. They're <laughs> strange uh, wedding fairs or mariachi bands. Um, but generally, the best way to find me is every Wednesday. Put more on mariachi bands. <laughs> <laughs> every Wednesday, retweeting myself on the Geeky Brummy Twitter feed, telling you all about such fabulous comics like Cain and Abel from Image. Um, so every Wednesday, I make some recommendations of generally comics I actually buy um, or read digitally if they're on the radar. Um, but yeah, you can find that most Wednesdays on uh, Geeky Brummy. Thank you. And you can find me at Ryan Parish on Twitter when I remember the login details. It doesn't happen very often. Or for the food <laughs> stuff, when that actually restarts, it'll be Brummy Gourmand. Uh, or you can find me on Tuesdays now doing the tech roundup on the geekybrummy.com website. So I'll take some of the hottest tech stories for the previous week and round them up in a, more, in a kind of, you might have missed this important news story. So like over the last couple of weeks, I've looked at Windows 11, AMD's new shiny way to get more resolution out of your aging graphics card, uh, Mobile World Congress, and an Xbox fridge. Yeah, it kind of it kind of bounces around a bit in the tech world. And you can find me on Twitter on geekybrummy on Tuesdays as well, where I occasionally write some stuff. You never know. But, uh, God, I always hate this bit. Like, subscribe, share, comment, things at the bottom please click them they do come in handy and they do help with engagement and spreading the word to your fellow geeks uh, but thank you for joining us and hopefully we'll see you again soon but for now goodbye everybody go bye 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 <laughs> bye <laughs>